Hold on to your butt. I'm, of course, surprised that a story had such an immediate and profound effect upon radio listeners. Hooey pleases the boobs a great deal more than sense. Woe is us! We're in a lot of trouble! In politics, man must learn to rise above principle. What the hell are we doing here? We are behaving the way a superpower ought to behave. Well, our behavior has produced some crappy results. What we're witnessing now is the failure of the state. It is a death struggle for our republic. Giving voice to liberty in our time. Joey Clark. Oh, hello. And welcome to this show. It's called the Joey Clark Radio Hour. For those of you out there in talk radio listener land, which we call the real world, thank you for tuning in. Because, well, it's been a long day. I'm surrounded by germs. I'm starting to become very paranoid up here. And to help me through this tonight is Seth Spotlow. Welcome back, man. How you doing? Pretty good, man. How are you doing? Cold and flu radio. Yeah. Now, you've been on the road all day, chewing up the miles. Yeah, driving. Window time, man. Window time. Now, and you said you've been listening most of the day. We sound all right? Oh, always, man. We're pushing through the illnesses up here. Yeah, cold and flu radio. I can. Everybody sounds rough. I was sick. I got better. So, hopefully... I'll probably get sick again. It'll be okay, though. Well, and your voice always sounds this way, right? Yeah, I always sound rough. Well, no, but it sounds good. <laughs> no, I bring on folks to this radio station, and I'm like, they haven't... People ask me. I've had women ask me, wait, like, if you meet somebody online, and, you know, some of the playful flirting gets going, and, wait, do you have one of those radio voices? I'm like, kind of. Yes, I do, in fact. It's very, very sexy. How you doing tonight, ladies? Yeah, I, I try to bring that one out. If I'm, you know, if, if I'm messaging somebody, I'm like, well, I, I suck at texting. I just can't do it. Just talk mm-hmm. to me one time. Let's just meet in person one time. That's all it takes, because I can't get all of this across right. without being in your face. Right, right, exactly. If I text, it's, I just sound crazy. I'm not, a, I'm not good with the texting. I can do, I can pull a joke here or there. I can get across a point. See, because when I start writing, I start writing a novella. And I don't want to do that because that's like a huge red flag. Especially if you just met somebody and you're writing them your life story. They're like, oh, God, he's sharing way too much. And you don't want to be that guy or or gal. I don't want to read three paragraphs. Well, I had a buddy whose phone just kept blowing up. We're at Fresh Market. And we're trying to pick out a, a good, healthy meat dinner. That's what we were, it was a big kick. A guy named, uh, we called him Jersey. And uh, he, he would like yell, and he, was just, he wasn't even a real roommate. This was like four years ago. But somehow he came to Montgomery, started looking for a job. Hey, can I stay on your couch? I'm like, yeah, we, you, you can stay on our couch. But he would yell from the couch in the living room all the way across the house, through the kitchen, to my roommate Sean's. Hey, Sean! Sean! Are these your clothes in the dryer? Sean! Sean, me and my uh, cousin Donnie goes to Auburn. We're going to uh, go to Bed Bath & Beyond and get a George Foreman grill so we can cook our healthy meats. I'm trying to get my uh, my abs down. My fat content's way out of whack. So let's go to the fr- the freshest of markets after I get my uh, George Foreman grill. We'll get some healthy meats so we're at Fresh Market. And because he would yell that all the time. It wasn't just once where he's yelling about healthy meats. I'm like, well, go get your meat, damn it. Grass-fed? All right, yeah, not as much fat. And we're trying to, you know, pick out our meat in peace. And, uh... Ding! 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 Like, back to back to back. And it went on. I'm not going to sit here and do all the dings. It was like ten dings. Like, dude! 
What's going on with your phone? Who's that? He's like, yeah, this girl, she, she writes me like paragraphs, like everything going on her, in her head, like just comes out on the screen, like through her fingers. And it just, texting gets me in trouble because you don't, so much of what I like to do is with tone and facial expression. Exactly. And I, I mean, without that, I'm nothing. You, I mean, if I got to text you, it's pointless. Right. I'm afraid whenever I text you, it sounds like I'm hitting on you. So I'm, <laughs> I never get that. Why would I know, you think but it's that? It's just like, oh my goodness, you know, just talk to me. Call me for five minutes. I can get the point across a lot quicker than I can with texting somebody. And it just being wrong. No, you've used Messenger, I think, correctly with me. Well. It's never, I've never felt like you're hitting on me. I try. Oh. <laughs> well, see, I'm oblivious to those sort of signs. Yeah, and I heard a term today. I was looking up a. Uh, it was, she was a famous actress, and named Tallulah Bankhead. She was from Huntsville. Her father was a Democratic House of, uh, Speaker of the House, and um, she ended up being in, like notorious for her sexual exploits. And this is like the '30s, I think, and the '40s. And she called you know how ambidextrous she called herself ambrosexual. Though she, somebody said you would be perfect to play the lesbian in Sartre's No Exit play, and she's like, I'm not a lesbian or whatever. And though she, I don't know, her exploits are well known to those who have read her exploits, and it's essentially um, an early sort of sexual maverick when it came to women's liberation. I don't know why I was reading that earlier today, but I'm reading that. And was like, oh, that's interesting. Tallulah Bankhead, Alabama native. Uh, uh, She uh, would buy before it was okay? Yeah, I I guess she's in her 30s. Ambrosexual. I never heard that term. That's a good way to put it. Yeah, Uh, I'm not that way. I'm like, make your mind up. Hey, to each his own. All these terms like pansexual or omnisexual or... Well, and then there are folks who uh, say they're polyamorous. What is that? Polyamorous. Or like where you would have not just a a girlfriend or a boyfriend. It's not like a couple. It's like I have my first boyfriend and my second boyfriend and my third boyfriend. (laughs) And he sees me on Mondays and he sees me on Tuesday and Wednesdays because he gets an extra day in the week. (laughs) He's not much fun to talk to, but that's I what like Mondays spending, for. Yeah, that's what Mondays for. I get out all my emotions, all my baggage. And then this guy comes over, and we just relax and laugh and laugh because what we're doing is laughing. And then the third boyfriend, he gets Thursday and Friday because he's arm candy. He's not much to talk to, and he doesn't really take care of other needs. But he is such a socialite, and you know. And these folks, and for a little while, I'm like, that could work, I suppose. Like, maybe that could work. And then I found that, no way. I couldn't do it. I'm stingy. Yeah, you're stingy. I, I, I'm stingy. I want her. If she's in there, and mine. You know what I'm saying? And right. nobody else, you know what I'm saying? And, uh, yeah, hey. Now, but do you believe in this? And I'm the same way. I've found I am that way. And it would have to take a very special situation and people where I could very much communicate clearly for the 
polyamory thing to ever work out. It's not something I'm seeking. It was kind of something I like talking about for a little while, especially because it would really make some of my guys' girlfriends mad be talking about that. Hey, there's this new wave out there where you date more than one person. It's like just I, daggers would be staring at me. Joey, shut up. Don't give him any ideas. And so, yeah, because the, the road to a successful relationship is a threesome, ladies and gentlemen. But it is not. It is not. Uh, so I don't know. I, I've learned about myself that I I don't think that's for me. But do you believe in this idea of like the one? I try to soulmate. Yeah, I try. I mean, but you know, and it never works. Right. You know, you try to. Everybody tries to have hope. You know, and faith that it's going to happen. But I mean, I guess for some, it's worked for some folks. I, I know has. a few people that are happy. You know, not many, well, but a few. But I've, you know, I've seen, like, grandparents, and I've gotten to know folks who have been in long-term marriages, and the word I would, I wouldn't use the word happy. That's old school. Back in the day, you know, when they got together, they were staying together. Right. You know, no matter what, you stayed together for the kids. It's like, why do you want to stay together for the kids when you're not happy? You know, then right. you just show the kids that it's okay to be miserable. Oh, well, you know, you're getting close to home. But yeah, staying to division dressed up in unity is not great. Yeah. It's like, uh, we're going to, you know, the whole point of getting in like a committed relationship is marriage is that the first time there's a big fight, you don't pull out the card, well, I'm leaving you. It's like, no, we're committed. We can fight about all sorts of stuff. Punish me in whatever way you want. Don't walk out the door. But there, I mean, that that's that true. There is a, a line, though, you know. Right. It's like, when that line, oh, excuse me, when that line is not there anymore, then it's just like, hey, we better off friends. Right. You know? Right. It's just, and, and I want to be clear, like, these long-term marriages and relationships I've seen, it, it's not, the happy is not the word I would use, and, but I wouldn't use unhappy either. It's, I'm not thinking of the old couple who's obviously miserable, but it's it's more like, it's beyond just happy and happiness. It's sort of a, we've been through a lot of stuff together. Like, he knows every every smell. He knows every word, I'm, every gripe I have. Like, you just know so somebody so well. It's not that that person makes you happy. It's like they almost become a different, an, an appendage. A part of you. Like, my grandparents are like that. One of them lives in one town and the other one lives in the other town, and they're really happy like that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the weirdest is, like, the divorced couples who, and you might know some the divorced couples who after they get divorced they're now like good friends again oh yeah oh yeah because it what was driving them crazy is try is living together and all the stuff that goes along with that and now they don't have to deal with that we can just be friends again then, you know, then there's all the good and all the bad i guess some of it you know, mm -hmm. to the most part yeah yeah all these memories they come back and well you forget about those after time Oh, you do? Yeah. All the bad stuff. No, I, I, I look back, and I don't have much experience, but I look back on some heartbreaks, and when it was like the end of the world, I look back and go, man, you had that coming. <laughs> you had it coming, you big idiot. You were vulnerable for all sorts of reasons. You were putting people on a pedestal. Like, you got to get over that, idealizing. Like, get over it. And you learn to laugh at yourself, or I hope you do. I have. The only one you put on a pedestal 
are the short ones. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's hard to reach the top of the pantry in the kitchen. Nobody's, oh, he went back to that old school misogynist joke. Nobody's going on top of the fridge. I just got lucky that I have a kid. My Man. daughter, she totally took the place of all that love, sickness, and sadness, and all that good stuff. Exactly. I know I have her, so I don't worry about any of that. It's great. Right, you have a little companion. Yeah, she's my little mini-me, and she's starting to talk back to me, and it makes me so happy because it's all this stuff I've been teaching her mm. is not going to waste. And don't kids, like, they treat you like you're the most amazing thing in the world. Oh, it's great. When she's scared, she comes and hides under my legs. <laughs> and she's a little mini me. I got her little black hoodie. Yeah. And I mean, she looks just like me. You need to get her some of those gloves you have. I've, Where I, the fingers? I, I haven't exposed? been able to find a pair of gloves that are small enough. Well, buy some small ones and take the tips of oh, the Oh, I'm going to. Oh, I, yeah. It would be adorable. You, she's going to look just like me. Does she have the dark hair? Too? Oh, yeah. I'm supposed not the beard. No, no beard. Good. But I, I put it up, you know. The, oh, like straight up, ponytail yeah. straight off the top uh -huh. of the head. Yeah, I'm having a bad ponytail day. Oh, it's yeah. going every which way. Man, mine's falling out. Your hair is yeah, falling out? Oh, man, out? I, I, I don't know what to do. I, I hope it's natural. Yeah, me yeah. too. <laughs> I'd rather it turn gray than fall out, but yeah. Oh, are you worried you're balding? Oh, I know I am. I just, oh, oh, no. <laughs> it's, it's there. I just, I'm, maybe it's just, I, I've been driving all day, listening to talk radio, and playing with my hair. And that's probably what did it. I play with my hair. I really do. Uh, like I, th my brother and I both have this weird tick where it's like the back right side of our head, like right back here. Like I'll sit there and like, especially when we get nervous, we'll do this number. And I know the folks listening can't see it, but you can. And it annoys the hell out of some people who know us well. It's like stop. It's your nervous tick. Yeah, well, better than picking my butt. <laughs> so. <sighs> but yes, how can you be on the road for so long? Um, how do you deal with that? I I listen to stuff. Normally, it's yeah. books on tape. Books on. I've been actually looking for you know, the New Year starts. I want to get back to reading some. I don't know. I'm going to do it because I'm. I don't get much free time. You're here all the time, aren't you? Exactly. And I'm talking, so it's not like I can read a little bit here and during the five minute break. It, no, it doesn't work that way. It, you need like to be able to concentrate a little bit. But uh, what's some of the stuff you listen to? Uh, I have an app called uh, LibriVox, mm -hmm. and it's yeah. it's all free stuff. And I found this one guy, or I found two guys that are, that have kind of scary, weird stuff. It's um, what is it? Scott Sigler and S. Lawrence Parrish. Okay. Um, it's it's really good. One one of them is um, what do you uh. uh I can't think of the guy's name. Uh, old, uh, uh, oh my God! It'll come to me in a horror minute. Horror writer, yeah, yeah, thrillers? old horror writer from the like 30s and 40s. Oh, oh man, Lovecraft. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lo okay. Lovecraftian tales. Okay, very cool. <laughs> and I know nothing about this, so I've been listening to it and I enjoy it. Very cool. They're they're real creepy, end of the world, and uh, the bad guys usually win. I love it. I love the one idea of, of scientific horror. And Ridley Scott brought this back when he started to remake the Alien prequels, like with oh, Prometheus and Alien Covenant. But in particular with Prometheus, the idea that you know human beings or whatever beings go out to search who created us, and you're hoping when you find who created you, 
it's in the same way as when you find God the Father. He's going to, well, because, you know, you were made in my image and you're very special. And here's the whole meaning of life. And here's all the stages of life and where you're going and what happens after we die. You're going to get all the answers. <laughs> and but and especially like Prometheus, they go find it. And the, essentially the creator goes, you were an accident. And what are you doing here? I need to eradicate you. Exactly. Death. You know, oh. I love that. Those movies were just so good. Yeah, psychological horror is, I think, the worst. Like, I'm not a huge fan of, like, what some people offhandedly call torture porn, but, like, blood and guts movies. Talking like Saw and Hostel and stuff yeah. like that. Yeah, and uh-huh. actually the first Saw I liked because it had psychological elements, really good ones. But I went and saw the first Hostel in theaters, and I hated it. I mean, it was, in each to their own, it was just, it's not like I don't like people who like that stuff, but it's, I didn't, it made me feel, not disgusted, frustrated. And, and maybe that was the point, but it made me, like, I wasn't horrified or disgusted, though I was in the stuff that was happening in that movie, but it was like, ah, somebody go shoot those SOBs. <laughs> that was my reaction. I was like this, you know, urge, this lust for justice. Not real scary, just juicy. Yeah. It, it, like when the eyeballs hanging out and oh, they cut it with the scissors. Yeah. Oh, and then the pus looking stuff oh, comes flying out, make you want to throw up. And, oh. and it makes you, it's, um. Make you want to throw up a little bit. It, it made me, yeah, I want to throw up right now. <laughs> oh. Yeah, it's disgust. Is and it's interesting. Um, Jonathan Haidt, he's a psychologist. He's done a lot of work on like the the different psychological values, if you will. the The values are the virtues conservatives hold, and you know, left wing liberals hold. Um, and conservatives tend to have more of a sense of disgust at things. Where they they're easily disgusted by whatever in the world, and that leads to a sense of contempt. Now, liberals have their own things, but uh, it makes me go, "Wow!" So there's a certain segment of the population because of this trait, it leads them to a certain political field, and it's made me think about political parties in a different way. Where it's not just a set of beliefs and ideologies; it's actually deep seated things that maybe it's part of you know your biology or how you grew up in life that oh it's not necessarily that you became a republican or a democrat because you really thought through it just pure reason robotic no it comes from an emotional place and i was i was like oh interesting that can explain a lot of behavior all the thoughts and ideas that lead up to either one side or the other are based solely on the fears that you have in the beginning no i, I think fear is a big part of it yeah well, and there's some simple analysis like H.L. Uh, Mencken talks about what drives the democratic mob. He was not a fan of mass democracy, nor am I. I like, you know, Tocquevillian democracy, local. You know, you can see, like, we could sit down like you and I are, and you can, you know, you could probably, you probably don't want to, but you could meet a thousand people within a few days mm-hmm. if you had to. you get to know your community, and you could ask maybe somebody who knows somebody who knows that guy, what's he like? But when it starts to grow into hundreds of thousands and millions, you become like a cog in the machine, and you feel manipulated. And what Minkin said the mob is manipulated by is, number one, fear, as you said, envy. But the third one kind of throws people off, love. 
Love and loyalty to a cause or love for a certain ideal. And the type of love that drives you insane, where if somebody points out that, hey, so-and-so is not living up to that ideal that you love, you'll deny it. No. No, they're completely fine. It's that type of love I was talking about earlier when I look back at my heartbreaks. Like, there were so many red flags, dude. How are you blind? Now, I think that drives a lot of people in politics, that they... They get so caught up on this is the cause, and even if the guy's sort of not living up to it, oh, oh, I don't want my love upset. Love is blind. Yeah. You know? There you go. Wow. I was like, all right. And then I also was thinking about Minkin today. I saw this uh, article from Vanity Fair, and the think it was like, oh, my God, or OMG, this is so effed up. And it was about these massive orgies going on in Silicon Valley. And I was waiting for, like, actual accusations of abuse. Which, like, the guy did the the X-Men movies. He was kind of forcing some guys. But even there, there were people going, you made a lot of choices, man. You chose to go to that party. You chose to take those drugs. You kind of stuck around for a while. I get you might have been manipulated emotionally, but you made a lot of choices. Um, don't be so brittle. And so I'm reading these stories, and it's like husbands and wives and um, a lot of women coming to these parties, and there's sort of these discreet invitations. And this is all going out on the West Coast where, you know, this goes on. And I'm, I mean, it goes on everywhere, but it's more accepted, I think, out there culturally. And I'm waiting for the the big accusations, but... It just kind of turns into this screed of, like, how dare these successful men have sex parties? (laughs) And that's what I took away from it. I'm like, well, okay, if if you got slut-shamed at work because you were at one of these things, that's one thing. But the idea, it it reminded me of what Minkin said about alcohol prohibitionists. And it's this weird, as I've been watching the the Me Too stuff, there's plenty to go, yes, ladies, you are absolutely correct. But then it goes into this territory of, like, any sort of masculinity and male sexual fantasies are wrong and just bad. They're predatory by nature. I actually had my cousin tell me, sexual harassment is any unwanted advance. My uncle and me looked at her and went, Really? That's what you get for getting a social worker degree. Your heart was in the right place, but where did you get that when you're trying to help the poor and the hungry and the disabled? Like, I mean, okay, I, I guess so. So if I go up and say, hey, you want to grab a drink later? Or I think you're incredibly beautiful and intelligent, and I like a stone-cold freak. I actually, had one guy tell me that's what he did. He goes, you seem like a professional woman. I like that. You got a head on your shoulders. You got a, a life about you. You are getting yours. Then he'd walk away for a little while and he goes, now let me be straight with you. All that stuff I said earlier, I meant it. But what I'm looking for is a stone cold freak. What I told that guy (laughs) is, dude, you're going to get in a lot of trouble. You're going to get in a lot of trouble. Eight slaps, but those two that aren't are going to be worth it. Right. And and I said, and so I'm thinking about all this, like this sort of new Puritanism coming back, but it's not like the old. Puritanism, which was like outright prohibitions, like all sex is kind of suspect, and we do it maybe to procreate, but other than that, mm-mm. it's kind of idle hands of the devil's workshop here. And uh, 
but Minkin made this great point about alcohol prohibitionists. He said it's not that a lot of these prohibitionists just hate all alcohol. What's in fact going on is your average prohibitionist just wish everybody would sit at a nice, you know, gathering at their barn and drink, you know, spiked peach tea and play cards. Just have a, a delightful evening. Well, most people are actually at the bar getting wasted off whiskey and smoking and dancing, having this raucous, rip-roaring good time. So because everybody wants to have the whiskey at the bar and not the peach tea, they go, well, alcohol's bad. Like, they, they just can't join the party, and they're insecure about it. And I think a little bit of that's going on, where it's you get actual cases of things we should go, yeah, that's, that's pretty bad, and I'm glad you're talking about it, and we hear you. You also get folks that you're like, well, it sounds like you tried something, you didn't like it, and now you're going to rail against all the people who do? Like, I'm not th- that interested in... I mean, at these parties, these guys would essentially take MDMA, and it'd be orgies. Yeah. And I'm like... I mean, part of my brain goes, yeah, man. And then the other grown-up part of me goes, that sounds like there's a lot of... There are a lot of hells that could come out of that. Yeah, there's a lot of bad things. It sounds like fun. You think about it, though, and it's like, whoa. And then, of course, there's that guy over there that didn't get invited to the party. Oh, yeah. And he's watching. He's not even participating. (laughs) That's the guy you got to worry about, the one watching. No, and it was just kind of... That, I don't know. Like, personally, I'm not into that stuff, but it's... I also am not going to go, oh, look at that toxic sexuality over there. And it's run rampant. How dare these successful people enjoy their lives? I, uh, I drank for a long time. You know, I drank for about 10 years, and I worked in the bar for a long time. And uh, I haven't drank in probably nine months, you know. And But I'm okay with going out and seeing people drink and having a good old time. And back in the day, I don't remember a lot, but I remember some. Mm-hmm. And... There were some crazy things that happened once upon a time, you know. And one thing I did learn is just don't be that guy that wishes you did, you know. When right. You, have it. you know, I mean, like, because you'll always be like, what happened, you know? If What if I went and gone? You're, you're in a gas station and you see a pretty lady and you're like, well, I want to say something. And you don't. Well, then you regret that. And you're going to think about that forever when you can always just go over there and say hi and her say Go away. I've got a man. And it's like, okay, cool. At least you told me it wouldn't well, go away. So, like, I've I've seen pretty women at gas stations, but I've never had the thought of, like, now this is the setting to go hit on somebody. Well, you're never going to see her again. I mean, you know. True. Uh, uh, I don't go out to bars and drink, you know. Um, but, I'm not Walmart. Yeah. Uh-uh. <laughs> One thing that's cool about you is that you're not the, the now sober guy who's like, oh, I'm straight edge and... Look at you fools, wasting your brains and your lives away in your alky hall. Like, oh, you alkies. Like, you don't seem, you don't strike me that way. No, I'm, I'm for it, man. Have a good time. Yeah. I mean, I feel like crap afterwards, so I don't. I, right. I will I happily help you all hang out because uh, I'm a social butterfly, man. I love being around some people. You like people? But, yeah, I love them, man, but I'm not around them because I don't drink. So I, I kind of... I come and do this, which is, you're you're a person, yes, so you count. Yeah. Well, no, see, and this is where you and I, I think, are a little different. I'm very introverted, so I don't like people. I like people like this, a one-on-one setting, maybe two-on-one. But when, it, like, when we had you and Trey and Kurt up here, 
It was almost a little too much for me. Like, who am I talking to? Now I'm getting nervous. Oh, that person's in my peripheral. What are they doing? Is there a whole lot going on? Yeah, it's a, and maybe it's my own issue. But, it, yeah, I, I like being alone. I kind of like that solitary time where I get to read or I get to think about something or listen to music by myself. And when there's too many people around, I start to get really nervous. I'm not sure where that comes from, and I'm working on it. But uh, it's just, that's how I am. You get used to it, I think. I mean, like, I'm alone a lot at the house. I get my kid every other day. And when I don't have her, it's fine. But sometimes I just got to get out and do something and show, talk to somebody and be an adult and have a conversation and be a, an idiot and make somebody laugh, you know. And um, I have a, I, I don't know how to sing. I'm a terrible singer. Can't carry a tune in a bucket. But every other Friday, I'm a karaoke DJ. Nice. <laughs> nice. So you put on the backing track? And I, I play what they want me to, and I don't sing. I, I sang one song. Now, has anybody ever blown you away at karaoke? There are a lot of drunks who get up there, and they're having fun and whatever. But somebody where you're you're doing your normal karaoke thing, and you're so, whoa, I just discovered the new voice of a generation. <laughs> not yet. Not yet <laughs> they're, not. All, they're all drunk. I can do this. You do the Garth Brooks part, not do the other part. <laughs> I'm like, I'm sorry, but for one, I can't sing, and number two, I don't know the song. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just, essentially what I'm asking you is, have you ever been to the Catalina Wine Mixer? Like, and just had an incredible performance. I can't even remember the song Will Ferrell and that other guy do. Oh, John C. Oh, Riley. Yeah. yeah. Oh, my goodness. No, I haven't seen anything <laughs> like that. One time, a buddy of mine, about probably 10 years ago, uh, we did, we were sitting at the bar and we started doing Bohemian Rhapsody. Oh, nice. And uh, that was just sitting at the bar. That was probably the best one I've ever done. But besides that, no. Did you start from the beginning? Well, we were just sitting. At, we were a couple seats away, and he started doing it, and I started doing it. We just kind of ran through it sitting at the bar, and it, it it's a perfect song for that. So it was, man, I just felt it. I felt it right here. When you went, Mama uh, uh, just killed a man. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Put a gun against his head. Pulled, Pulled my trigger, trigger now, now he's dead. dead. Yeah, I, I can't sing. I'm not singing for you. Well, I can't sing either. <laughs> I can kind of talk, sing, fake sing, all this stuff. Now, I'm, the album of the day, and it's, I haven't shared this because I don't have it on vinyl yet, but I've been waiting for a while, and I think it fits with this subject of, it's where I'm coming from, like, and why I have this knee-jerk reaction against any sort of puritanism that comes out there. I'm not saying you can't have your own standards, but just leave other people alone if they're not hurting anybody and they're having fun. And the album is Controversy by Prince. I'm wondering if you've heard this. Not at all. You've never heard this. Okay, it's 1981. It's right after his uh, Dirty Mind album, which was just, the album speaks for itself. But uh, Controversy comes out, and here's, you have the video in front of you. Oh, is that stained glass in the background? Oh. oh. Looks like we're in a church. Well, we're going to go out to this. Seth Spotlow is my guest. You're listening to the Joey Clark Radio Hour. We'll be right back. It's good, isn't it? Yeah, I like that a lot. Yeah. Do I believe God? Do I believe 
Controversy by Prince. The song is Sexuality. He did a version of the song in the late 2000s that was just like a three-piece band, like a Hendrix, Stevie Ray Vaughan type of band. So no synths. It was just like him doing the synth parts on like a distorted, heavy electric guitar. Cool. And like this guitar part. Like, oh. I bet it sounds really good. Yeah, I'll have to find it. That's catchy right there. Interesting enough, he changed the song later in the career. I know a lot of ladies would love that man's hair. <laughs> Yeah, but later in his career, he didn't sing Sexuality is All You Ever Need, Sexuality, Let Your Body Be Free. He actually changed it to Spirituality. Oh, he got a little godly there, didn't he, for a while? Well, and even that controversy, the song we play going out, uh-huh. at the end of it, over that funk beat, that kind of synth funk beat, he recites the Lord's Prayer, Our Father. Oh, wow. So, from the beginning, he was mixing sex and God. And and it started to go more towards God as he got older. But even uh, like he, like one song he did recently in 2010 called "Beginning Endlessly." I mean, like he, we're gonna make love metaphysically or something like that. Aww. I mean, like it's it started going to these places where it's like, okay, I see what he's getting at, and. It's interesting when you're young and you're like 21 and the hormones are going. It's like procreate, procreate, procreate. Uh, you, you can probably fall into this like idea. That, oh, sex is all you ever need. It's you know we don't need. There's one line in the song. We don't need no segregation. We don't need no race. New age revelation. I think I want to taste. I mean, and it's all about oh, sex can free us. But as you get older, you realize, well, no, it has its own hells and complications, and you start to find, um, I don't know, you start to find your destiny in different ways, whether it is children or new like responsibility at for the community or for your parents as they get older, and you start to realize, okay, sex is incredibly important. But when it has this spiritual element to it and this backdrop, it becomes even better. Uh, but also, you start to realize life is more about these spiritual things we can't necessarily see. And they express in whatever we do. Yeah, and I mean, when you're younger, it's it seems to be really, really important, you know. And then once I hit about 30, it just, everything slowed down and... Uh, 
I was like, wow, everything's slow. And I kind of see what's going on. My head's not working so fast. And then I had a little kid. And then once that happened, I just said, okay, I'm never using this thing again. I got a kid. I don't need any more. I'm gonna, I got one little monster I'm going to raise, and I don't need any more. Right. Right. And But kids are, so, I mean, it's a lot of work. But imagine it's also like people go, they, they have amnesia, momentary amnesia. They have well, that was a lot of work. We're never doing this again. And then, you know, well, yeah, let's try again. <laughs> oh, why? What? What's wrong with me? That's, that's why I quit drinking. Because the, <laughs> the, the more she drinks, the better I look. Yeah, well, <laughs> there you go. There you go. And, but you were, you know, you messaged me last week. And I, you could probably tell I was on fumes. Oh, yeah. Last week. And I am a little bit now getting out of the, the sickness again, surrounded by germs. Uh, but I haven't touched anything. You, um... You mentioned, you messaged me that, you know, people don't seem to have, like, real deep discussions, like, impromptu. That's kind of, when I think back on my life, I've always done that, maybe to a fault. I did it a lot when I was younger. I would would talk to people and have real deep discussions with folks because I wanted to. And I don't know if they wanted to or not, but they kind of flowed with me. Right. And I guess after years and years of doing that, that... I was like, well, I'm sick of talking to people who are not understanding or caring about what I'm saying, so I'm just not going to do it anymore. Right. You know, and now that I've gotten a little older and things are seeming to change, now I'm like, well, those conversations, I miss that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. Because, I, I mean, you can't have that. Now, when I could actually do something with a good conversation, I feel like, I don't want to feel like I wasted it back then. Well, if, if you can recall, what what did it spring from? I mean, a lot of it f- for me was reacting to my Catholic upbringing, Catholic school, going to church every Sunday, going to church every Friday, I think, I mean, with school. And it was sort of me going, well, y'all are presenting a lot of great questions and wisdom, but what about this? That doesn't seem to make sense. And it, and from there sprung out a lot of questions about uh, what it means to have faith. And is that actually knowledge? Or uh, where do you think your curiosity sprang from? I guess just, I mean, just having the curiosity. I just wanted to, to I'm a very deep person, always have been. I swam in the, the, never been really a shallow person, you know. I've always been kind of deep, and I've, uh, I didn't have anybody to talk to, so I would talk to my friends. Yeah. And they would talk to me, and we'd get in these deep, crazy conversations, and uh, I would do it with one person, then I would do it with the next person, and then I started getting good at it, and I was able to talk to people and help them through stuff, and then nobody was helping me. <laughs> I was helping everybody else, telling them all this advice, and then I wanted some advice, and I couldn't get none because it's... I. Was it like people going through troubled times? And a little bit of everything. Yeah. And I could talk to anybody about anything. I was cool with it, you know. Like trouble and, at home or a crisis of faith or... Of anything, yeah. you know. I mean, something good, something bad. I'm going to give you my advice because it's truthful. And I just, I mean, that's what I do. I'm a nice guy. I try to help folks out. And, uh, and it's just questions and trying to find my own answers. You know, okay. and then I mean, of course, when when you're in your early twenties, people are like, "What are you gonna do with your life? You haven't done anything with your life." Well, I'm gonna enjoy it, you know, right. until I don't want to enjoy it anymore. Mm-hmm. And, and that's out partying and being around people. And I got that out of my system. And I mean, I know what I love to do. I love sitting in this chair and hanging out with you. <laughs> right. Well, and uh, enjoying life, I don't think that's gone away for me. I like to enjoy life, but uh, there were moments where I realized, well. Oh, 
at the bar, I'm not enjoying myself. Over, you know, some of these silly conversations, no, I do like those too, but some conversations, some political ones, for instance, I'm not enjoying myself a lot of the time. I'll have them, and it's kind of like I'm a political junkie. It's like the you're good at it. Drug I go back to, but there's a lot of times where I just get bored with it, and I'm not enjoying it. And I realize, well, that spark of I want to enjoy life is still there. And yeah, conversations like we're having, it's sort of freewheeling is is a lot of fun. Um, but would you? I don't know. I've talked about how I'm I'm sort of searching my faith and spirituality. And for now, I think I'm getting into sort of. Uh, Joseph Campbell and uh, Carl Jung, and there's a guy named Eric Newman. Uh, a modern-day proponent of those folks would be like Jordan Peterson and uh, Camille Paglia. She's kind of the uber-feminist, anti-feminist. Her book, Sexual Persona, is remarkable. And they, they essentially talk about archetypes, like the most enduring things. The things that have been around the longest are probably the truest, no matter what people say. And I'm I'm just now getting into that. I can't speak about it quite eloquently as I as eloquently as I would want. But it it's sort of that's a first step. How can I do sort of a survey of how stories are told, how narratives are shared, what have been those common themes throughout time and different cultures? But then I I kinda wanna start exploring the main religions again, you know, the deep depths of Judaism and and try to learn the best in Islam and Hinduism and Buddhism and there's all sorts of different angles of this and different Christian denominations other than Roman Catholic. Um, where would you say like are would you say you're a faithful person or a traditional religion, non-traditional religion. There's so many ways to answer this well, question. I have, uh, uh, I, I believe there is a, uh, a, a higher power, a higher power greater than myself. Right. And I don't have any specific way that I got there. I just had a bunch of people pointing in directions and mm. I just kind of went in that area and I'm just... And I'm a good person. I try to do good things for other people, even when I shouldn't. And I just, it comes back around. And it always has. I've been like this since I was 18. I really didn't have much, but I was a good guy. And over years and years of me doing that, 15, 20 years, you figure out that it, the, when you do stuff like that for other people, then it comes back to you. Right. And that's kind of the only little bit of religion that... It's it's just faith and fate that something good is going to happen. And mm -hmm. you have to know that and have no doubt in your mind that it's going to happen because it will. You know, I mean, I've seen it. It's happened to me plenty of times, but it's hard in the beginning. In the beginning, it was tough because all my friends look at me like I'm crazy. And now the couple friends that I do have, well, maybe one or two that have seen that are like, hey, you know. That's actually something uh, Jordan Peterson, the lecture I just watched, talked about, how you become a lover of fate. A song I shared, I think, two weeks ago, Sly and the Family Stone called uh, Que Sera Sera, whatever will be, will be. And the song's essentially about um, when I was a young girl and I asked my mother what will I be, she said Que Sera Sera, whatever will be, will be. It's kind of this very funky gospel hymn. It's a beautiful song. And that's really where I've come to because it's like, okay, tragedy will come. You'll have these incredible peaks of joy, too. But if you can learn to love your fate and meet it courageously, uh, that is a great place to begin. Just, I mean, you got to be, you got to know who you are and be okay with it. And, I mean, when the good comes, the good comes. When the bad comes, you just got to be ready, you know, be prepared for the worst and hope for the best. Well, and it's amazing how the golden rule endures. 
do unto others as you would have them do unto oh, you. Oh, yeah. The one loophole in that is what if you do unto you? What if you don't have a high standard of yourself? Well, then you don't get let down. Right. <laughs> you don't get let down, but you're, you're leaving open all, you know, it's... You just got to always keep yourself in the back of your mind so when you get that chance, you because you can't forget about yourself. Because if you don't think about yourself, nobody else is going to. Right. And, I mean, you just kind of got to put yourself... Sometimes you got to put yourself in the back burner, you know. Yeah. And when you do, I feel like it's worth it. Oh, yeah. You got to remove, you know, the pride and the ego out of the situation often. But, I mean, if you don't value yourself at the end of the day and you don't value the world around you... How are you ever going to love other people? Because that, I think people can smell that. They can sense that when somebody is a negative person. Uh, they realize, um, man, that, that's like a, that's an abyss. That's a black hole I'm going to get sucked into if I get involved with that person. Um, though there are folks, and maybe you're one of them, who run to that and say, no, I can help this person. I can talk to anybody. Uh, it depends on if they're working. You know, I mean, you can kind of, you can sense it, you know, like you mm -hmm. say, I mean, um, was, I mean, I'll, I'll give anybody a chance, you know, I'll talk to them. If, if it clicks, man, I, they seem to be a positive person. Yeah, I'll hang out and I'll talk and I'll give a little advice, you know, a little feedback to whatever saying. But I mean, sometimes you just got to say no. Oh, yeah. And sometimes a good no boundaries is uh, you have to. Can't help everybody. You can't allow somebody. You shouldn't enable somebody. Exactly. I'll put it that way. And you know, when you mention a higher power, I definitely think there are powers, if not a single power beyond me. I just don't know if I believe in the uh, sense that it's so often. When, I'll put it this way: when people ask me, uh, "Do you believe in God?" I'll say, "Well, honestly, and I'm not saying this to be clever. What do you mean by God?" <laughs> You ever see Dogma? Yes. <laughs> oh, I love Dogma. Yeah. Uh, okay, the best, my, one of my, the lines out of that movie that I will never forget is, uh, you don't have beliefs, you have ideas, because you can change ideas, you can't change beliefs. Mm. So, I try not to have beliefs, try to have ideas. And then whenever a point in your life happens where it is, just for some reason, it it clicks on how you believe about life, then you can kind of mold your idea about life around that and throw it in there instead of not being able to and being like, this is a great idea I want to remember, but I can't because my religion won't let me stick it in there. Right, and <laughs> well done, sir. Are you a comedian? Uh, and it's this idea of belief instead of it being, oh, here's an ideology or here's a set of ideas that I must stay true to. And you have to do that in some aspects. You need a value system. But it, the idea of belief as the ideas you love, what are you actually in love with? Um, what makes you feel fulfilled and happy, like you're on the right path? That sense of belief, I think, is, is very profound, and it doesn't get caught up on, you know, very esoteric arguments over theology. People, I mean, there's still people today that'll kill. I heard some comics say, what's the difference between a Shiite and a Sunni? What is it, a clerical error? And like, oh, I'm like, oh, that's a pun. Nicely done. But yeah, and some people, you know, get caught up on those things, but I almost wonder if you step back and you go, okay, as you said, it's, it's ideas that you have and you're sort of moving through the world going, okay, does this idea work in practice? Is this idea helping me to be a better person? What's my ultimate aim in this world? And it, 
does it fit into meeting that goal? And I think a lot of folks, and I've, I'm, again, a lot of people need to understand that when I'm just talking about all this stuff, I'm not projecting it on other. I'm looking in the mirror and just talking out loud. I think a lot of folks don't ask that question. What's my ultimate aim? Do you even have it yet? I mean, right. because some people may not. It, t- it took time for me to figure out what I like to do because people always ask me, what do you want to do? And they're like, I don't know. When I was about 25, I was like, I know. I want to talk to a million people as long as they're not right in front of me. Right. You know? right. And I mean, I just didn't forget that. I kept doing other things and then just kept my mind open to whenever I got a chance to meet you. I was like, hey, man, how you doing? Yeah. <laughs> and now I won't let you go. <laughs> Please don't. Hold on tight. But hold on loosely. Always. But don't let go. Never. Yeah. Yeah. You cling too tightly. Oh, no, I'm not even going to. Oh, well, this has been the Joey Clark Radio Hour. So Seth, thank you so much for stopping by. Thank you very much, sir. (laughs) I'll be back tomorrow.